Good morning. morning. Happy Lord's Day. Day. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My name is PJ. I'm one of the four pastors here and one of the members of Bethany Baptist Church. And it's a joy to be with all of you this morning and to tell tell the Father in heaven that we need him. We need him every hour. We need him every moment. And we certainly need him now as we're going to meditate on God's word. Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bible and open it to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14 as we continue our series through the book of Colossians. Uh, If you have a pew Bible, can someone tell me the page number? We don't have it in the bulletin. Forgot, but... 1,043, thank you. 1,043, so page 1,043, you'll find Colossians chapter 1 there. Uh, 1 is the big number, 9, and the verses are the small numbers, so we look at 9 through 14, those are the small numbers as we're continuing to look at Paul's prayerful spirit here in the book of Colossians. Hear God's word now from Colossians chapter 1. For this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Our Father in heaven, we need you this very hour. We need you to hear your word. We need you to be taught your word, to be rebuked by your word, to be corrected by your word, to be encouraged by your word, to be trained by your word. Grant us the gift of faith. We can't produce that in ourselves, Lord. We can hear but grant us the gift of faith in you from this passage and turn us from trusting in other things, confront lies in our hearts and minds, change the way we pray, and more importantly, change the way we think about how you are responding to prayers like these. Shift us as a church family to have greater, wider, broader, more firm and biblical expectations of your activity in our lives and through our lives in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. When I was in high school, uh, I can remember this vividly, I was with one of my best friends 
at the time a professing Christian, no longer professing to be a Christian, but he was at the time. And we were sharing the gospel with another friend of a friend uh, in his garage. And as we were sharing the gospel, you know, you you get into a conversation and then we started to realize, hey, this is actually a gospel conversation. That wasn't the start of it, but here we are. And so we're kind of playing off of each other and trying to read each other. And it gets to him and he's going in and then he says, uh, he says to the guy, he's like, if you trust in Jesus Christ, all your problems will go away. And we're in high school and I'm like, uh, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Like, uh, and so I actually, I froze and I didn't even say anything. I didn't even correct him. We just continued to share the gospel. And after when the friend left, I was like, what was that about? You know, he's like, I don't know. I was just talking. I was getting into it. I just thought that was the best thing to say. <laughs> and so um, the reason why we laugh and why, why, you sh- why you shouldn't say that is one, it's not true, right? Secondly, though, you're setting a, a person up for false expectations, right? He's going to expect, oh, you, you promised, you said that if I become a Christian, all my problems will go away. And the Christians laugh because we've been Christian for a while and we know that your problems don't go away. And if you expect that, you're in for a big disappointment. False expectations can leave, dis- leave one disappointed when those expectations are too high, are incorrectly high, or when they're just incorrect. As one great uh, philosopher said, expect disappointment and you'll never be disappointed. Okay, maybe not a great philosopher. That was MJ to Spider-Man. <laughs> but, but still, that expect disappointment and you'll never be disappointed. Your expectations shape what you're, what you're feeling, what you're thinking. Conversely, false expectations can, can um, not only leave one disappointed, but it it can leave you unnecessarily impoverished and empty, like a hungry child expecting uh, his generous parents to say no when he asks for a second serving at a Thanksgiving dinner. Expecting the parents to say no, unnecessarily impoverished, unnecessarily empty. The parents would of course say yes, just ask. No, they're not gonna say yes. Just false expectations can leave you impoverished. The challenge for the church at Colossae is the challenge for us today, same challenge we face today, similar challenge. And, and the, the message that they're getting, the essence and the problem that was attacking them was this message. Your life, Christians, you guys are missing something in your life. You're missing something big and fulfilling in your life. You can still have Jesus, just don't take him so seriously or make it all about him or you're going to miss out on this other big thing, this other big fulfilling thing in your life. So yes, yes, you can have Jesus, but he's not central. You you, you need him, but you also need fill in the blank. That's not the message just to the church at Colossae. That's the message um, that the world preaches to us today. And it's all about expectations. What do you expect? Do you expect to be fulfilled? Or do you expect, as a, do you expect to be fulfilled? Or do you expect you'll miss out on something beautiful, good, or true? in life if you live to know and enjoy God as your aim? Do you expect that you'll have less if you focus on God more? What do you expect for your Christian life? What should we expect for our lives as Christians? You should expect something more than disappointment and mediocrity. My prayer is that you would raise your expectations. I'm telling you, Christian, you should expect more 
Expect more than disappointment and expect more than mediocrity in your life. I've titled this sermon, Expect More. That'd be one way to kind of get at the essence of the message, expect more. But the main goal here, I think in this passage specifically, the main goal of this passage and sermon is this, expect God to answer prayers for you so that you joyfully live a life fully pleasing to him. So expect God to answer prayers that other people pray for you. Expect God to answer prayers for you so that you would be, so that you would joyfully live a, full, a life fully pleasing to God. That's the goal. We're trying to, Paul wants and God wants us to live a life, a joyful life, a live, live joyfully, fully pleasing to God. That's what God wants for us. So we need to expect God to answer prayers for us to that end. I'll say the main goal one more time for those who are writing it down. Expect God to answer prayers for you so that you joyfully live a life fully pleasing to him. And if you're going to expect God to answer prayers, I want you to expect two things. And Paul has two things here that we ought to expect, two major things to expect. There's a lot of other things, but expect these two major things. Number one, expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. That's from verse 9. Expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. And then number two, expect God to make you, to make you live fully pleasing to him. Expect God to make you live fully pleasing to him. Okay, two expectations in answer to prayers. Expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. And secondly, expect God to make you live a life fully pleasing to him, joyfully and fully pleasing to him. Let's look at these, and that's verses 10 through 14. So let's go to the first one here. Expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Now, on this point, it's all from verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, verse 9 says, we haven't stopped praying for you, Paul and Timothy are saying. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. There it is. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Why should you expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will? I have a few reasons here. I got three reasons here. Why you should expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. And the first one is this. Expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will because God moves people to pray for you. Think about your life. God, has, God moves other people to pray for you. Notice it says in verse 9, For this reason also, when Epaphras told Paul about the news about the, the church plant in Colossae, he said, Since the day we heard of it, we, me and Timothy, along with Epaphras, who's there, we haven't stopped praying for you. God is moving Paul to pray for them. God is moving Timothy to pray for them. God is moving Epaphras now with them to pray for them. God is moving people to pray for them, and God is moving people to pray for you. Paul prays for them. Timothy prays for them in Ephesians 4.12. Look at Ephesians 4.12 just to get the picture of um, Epaphras praying as well, just to fill out this picture. Look at Ephesians 4.12. Epaphras I'm not Ephesians, sorry, Colossians, same book, sorry, Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. There's Epaphras wrestling for you. Do you know that you have Christians wrestling for you in their prayers for you? Paul commands Christians, even in, in Colossians 4 verse 2, 
to be devoted to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. So God is moving people to pray for you because he's commanding people to pray. He's commanding them to be devoted to prayer. So they're going to be praying for you. And the Bible commands us to pray for one another. So our church ought to be praying for each other, right? Uh, James 5, 16 says, praying for one another. And so we have a membership directory, right? And, and our brother Calvin sends out emails and you get the names of the members. And you have members who are being moved by an email or by, by other members or by their directory in their Bible to pray for you. So, so, so expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will because he, he's moving people to pray for you. If you're not a member of a church, you need to join a church so that those members can pray for you. We are responsible to pray for our 132 members as fellow members. If you're not a member of this church, join a church. It doesn't have to be this church. Join a church so that those members will be praying for you because that's their, that's their responsibility before God. Second reason why you should expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will is because God guides people on what to pray for you. He doesn't just move people to pray for you. He guides them on what to pray for you. Now, the Bible guides our prayer. Praise God that the scriptures teaches us to pray, right? What's the most famous instruction on how Christians should be praying? The Lord's Prayer, right? Or more, maybe more accurately called, it's popularly called the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, where, where the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And the Lord Jesus tells them how to pray. Praise God that the Bible instructs us directly and even indirectly on what to pray for. But the point here is not about you praying. The point is that other people are guided by God's word to pray for you with biblical guidance. Praise God that, that other people who are praying for you have a Bible and that they're being guided by God in praying for you. Now, Paul's prayers guide God's people to pray. Even this prayer, one of uh, his prayers, you could look at D.A. Carson's book, Praying with Paul, if you want to consider many of the prayers Paul prays to fill out the way you should be praying. But I want to focus on what Paul is praying here. What is Paul praying in this passage? I want you to notice in verse 9 that the prayer request is only verse 9. Verse 10 and on is not prayer. Verse 10 and on, it's, what does verse 10 begin with? The two words in, in verse 10. So that, I pray this for you, so that this will happen. All of that is purpose. It's all the, the intended results he wants to come from the prayer. His prayer request is short. It's only one verse. It's short, it's simple, but it's strategic. And the strategy is laid out because the results are in verses 10 through 14. It's a short, simple, strategic prayer request. And what is that prayer request? Look at it again in verse 9. That you may be what? Filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's a simple prayer request. You can pray that this week. One application is just take your prayer, your, your prayer guide, your uh, membership directory, or the emails that are sent out to you this week, and just you could, you could pray 132 times this week, Father, fill this person with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You can pray that thoughtfully and alertly, and that would glorify God, and God would answer in some way for his glory. Okay, but let's think about this prayer. So the prayer is to be filled. Paul doesn't just want them to know God's will, just, just know it. He wants that knowledge to fill them to the point that there is no space for half-truths, half-lies and half-truths in their thinking. They're so filled with the knowledge of God's will, there's no more space for lies and deception. There's no, more, there's no space for half-Jesus, half-something-else truths. Right, That I need a little bit something more to really live the full Christian life or really live a full happy life in this world. May you be so filled with the knowledge of God's will that there's no space for half Jesus thoughts and half true thoughts. 
the prayer here is a filling such that your, your knowledge of God and God's will is in the driver's seat of your thinking and feeling and believing and doing. He's not just praying that, that the knowledge of God's will is somewhere in your car. He's praying that it would be in the driver's seat, controlling. No other space on that driver's seat, just one person. Not, we don't need a co-driver right there. Just one thing there driving you, filled up, and that's the knowledge of God's will for your life. Now, what does it mean by, so what does it mean by God's will? In the Bible, it talks about God's will in at least two ways. You can think about it helpfully in two ways. There's the uh, hidden, sovereign will of God. You could call it the hidden, sovereign will of decree. And then there is the revealed, breakable will of command. Okay? So we could say here, the hidden, unbreakable will of decree. And, they, and the revealed, breakable will of command. And all those words are kind of strategic. So in the hidden, hidden means it's not revealed to us. So Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The hidden things belong to Yahweh, our God. But the revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law. So there's hidden things and there's revealed things. The revealed things are the words of the law, Moses is saying, right? This is the revealed will of God. And this is for us. There's also a hidden will of God. Like what's gonna, what exactly is going to happen in your life tomorrow? Does God know what's going to happen in your life tomorrow exactly, minute by minute? Yes or no? He does, right? He's in control of everything. But do you know what's going to happen minute by minute tomorrow? No. It's not revealed to you. It's hidden. It's a hidden, sovereign, unbreakable will of decree. God's plan will be carried out. But when he's saying filled with the knowledge of his will, it's not filled, filled with the hidden things. That's hidden. That's not what Paul's praying for. He's praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's revealed, breakable will of command. The will that's found here in God's word and in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants you filled with. The knowledge of what God wants you to do. So it is God's will, for example, children, we're doing the family class on Sunday mornings, right, at 9 a.m., so you can come to that. But children, what does it say in Ephesians 6.1? Children, you know, children, maybe you can finish this verse. Children, obey your parents, yes, in the Lord, because your parents aren't always right, in the Lord, for this is right. That is God's will. Or to even be more specific, in everything give thanks, First uh, Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There it is. That's the will of God that you give thanks. Now, have you ever broken that will of God and not given thanks when you should have given thanks? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, all of us have, right? We have. So that is the breakable, revealed will of command. But what Paul wants is you to be filled with that knowledge of the will of God's command. Okay? And, it's, and he doesn't want you just to be filled with, with oh, well, let's think about the word knowledge now. Filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, we ought to pursue being filled with the knowledge of his will. We want to fill ourselves with understanding the Bible and understanding Christ. It says in Colossians 3.16, you hear me quote it almost every Sunday when I'm preaching. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. That's a command, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell among you. So yes, we ought to be pursuing this knowledge of the word of Christ. Jonathan Edwards wrote in his resolutions, resolution 28, resolved in my life, resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of them. I'm going to study the Bible so hard that I can actually tell that I'm growing. 
So yes, fill yourself. Do you sense God moving you to be more filled with the knowledge of his will? I hope you would. And if you do, that's probably an answer to prayers from other people praying for you. Now, this knowledge, though, is not merely, let's clarify something here. This knowledge is not merely conceptual head knowledge. It's not merely intellectual knowledge. It is intellectual. It's understanding concepts and precepts, but it's not just that. How do we know it's not just head knowledge? Well, how do we know that? If, if you look at, um, if it was just head knowledge, I mean, does God want us just to be filled with head knowledge? No, I'll give you two verses for this. It's actually worse to know more of the Bible and not do it than to not know the Bible at all. Luke 12, 48 says this, From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. The more you know, the more you're accountable for what you know. With great power. Oh, no, no. um, <laughs> the more you're accountable for what you know. And, and so we know that knowledge, it's not just about head knowledge. First Corinthians 8.1, knowledge puffs up, right? But love builds up. It's not enough to just know because that will puff you up in arrogance. And there's a, you know, from the text we can know that it's not just head knowledge. Because what kind of knowing is it? Look at verse 9 again. Filled with the knowledge of his will, how? Or in what way? In all what? Wisdom and in all spiritual understanding. So if just with these two here, you already know it's not just head knowledge. Because it's, it's not just knowing it, but it's knowing in a way that you have wisdom. And when you think wisdom, I want you to think fittingness. Fittingness. Wisdom is fitting what you know into the situation that's right in front of you. You know what fits the moment. You know what fits the person you're talking to. You know what fits the occasion. You know what fits the trial and the challenge in front of you. Wisdom is taking what you know of God, like a puzzle piece, right, and getting the right piece in the right place at the right time. That's wis that takes wisdom. So not just to know the Bible, know how the Bible applies, and know how to honor Christ in whatever situation you're in, right? So reading the Bible is good, but if you're reading the Bible all day while you're at work for eight hours, that's sinful. It's sinful to read your Bible during work when you should be working, right, if that's not your job. So, so you know, but the Bible says to let the word of Christ be richly dwelling in me. Yes, it does. But also says, you know, work unto the Lord, not unto men and obey, you know, your, your, your masters and obey, submit to the government. Like there's all kinds of other commands that you have to take in and what fits with the moment. We need to know God's will and how it fits in the moment. And that takes application. That takes doing it. It takes reading a situation. So wisdom is knowing God's will and how it fits with God, his world, his creative design, and the situation and the people that are right in front of you. So we need to know God's will in all wisdom. But also, not only in all wisdom, but in all what? Spiritual what? Spiritual understanding. So that's understanding the things you see, understanding your family, your neighborhood, your friendships, your job, your money, your opportunities from a spiritual perspective. Not just seeing the physical, financial, relational, uh, ancestral, uh, geographical, cultural dynamics in front of you, but the spiritual dynamics that are in everything that you're doing. So being filled with God's knowledge that you have a spiritual perspective. So our time and place in history, world history, the future destinies of the economy and society and churches and everything, seeing everything with an understanding guided by the Holy Spirit and the words of the Holy Spirit, the Bible, so that you have a spiritual understanding driven by the Spirit in how to look at everything. That's the prayer request. Knowledge of His will in all wisdom and all spiritual understanding. And this knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding is communal. 
Because this knowledge will help you commune with God and commune with other people, right? This knowledge is worshipful because it helps you see the value of God. It helps you know the value of God in his word and then see and feel and value the actual worth of God's word and the worth of God. This knowledge is not only communal and worshipful, this knowledge is personal because it, it, it goes to your very personal identity, your sense and core of who you are and your deepest desires. And this knowledge is practical because it changes the way you live. And it is situationally fitting because you recognize how the centrality of Christ works out in the specific and ever-changing situations that God puts you in. Moment by moment by moment, trial by trial, challenge by challenge, situation by situation. The more one has this knowledge, the more one is mature in Christ. This is another way of talking about what maturity in Christ looks like, when, the more you have it. God wants people to pray this prayer for you. Praise God that God wants people to pray this prayer for you, right? What a great prayer request to pray for others. So expect this filling. Here's the third reason. Expect this filling uh, because God answers the prayers of his people. God moves them to pray, God guides them in their prayer, and they come to pray in Jesus' name. These Christians do. John 14, 13, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So get this, brothers and sisters, this is good news. This is really good news. God wants to, God is happy to, God desires to, God is passionate to answer this prayer. He wants to do it. You're not going to a cranky God on a bad day asking for something that he's irritated that you're asking for again. He is desiring to give this to you. Brothers and sisters, God's passion is not low. Our expectations are. Expect God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Church family application for the church fam. This is a secondary application, not the main application, but it's here. Pray for one another because God moves you to pray for each other. Pray for one another and for the church to be filled with the knowledge of his will and expect God to answer these prayers. Pray it for each individual in this church. Pray it for the church as a whole. Pray it for the future members of this church. I was struck by when I was standing here singing as I was looking out at all of you, that my wife and I have been here the longest of everyone in this room now. Just a change, a full change. Like no one else was in this room uh, before September 2014 when we came to, to preach in the evening service uh, in view of like in a Q&A. But no one else was in this room before that time. Like this is a completely different group. That was seven years ago. Seven years from now, who's going to be in this room? So, so you're, we're praying for, for the members now. You're praying because it's going to affect other people, and you're praying as the new members come in, and this church changes, and everything's changing around us all the time. But we're praying this for each other in the midst of all kinds of change. Okay, and then children. Children, listen up. Kids, I have two things to say to you kids, okay? Are you listening, Red? Yeah? Two things, okay? Here it is. Number one, your lives would be different your lives would be really different if your parents and our pastors and our church family didn't pray for you the way that we pray for you. God loves you. God loves you, kids. And he's given you Christian parents and a church family that loves you and loves to pray for you. 
That's God's gift to you. Secondly, kids, one more thing. Learn God's will. Learn about Jesus by reading your Bible because we want to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Learn it even when you don't understand it. Memorize the catechism. Memorize your Bible verses. Learn here on Sundays and ask your parents and the pastors and other members your questions. All right, that's the first thing. Filled with the knowledge of his will. Now there's, I gave you three reasons why we should expect to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Really, verses 10 through 14 is a fourth reason if you want, but we're not going to frame it as a reason. Um, it's another expectation because, um, because if we expect God to answer that prayer, then we're expecting the, the purpose and result of that prayer to also be in our lives, right? So it's another expectation. So here's the other expectation, verses 10 through 14. Expect God to make you fully pleasing to him. Okay, now don't, don't only expect God to... Um, Fill you with the knowledge of his will. Expect God to make you fully pleasing to him. Look at verse 10. What's the purpose of this prayer? So that, if you're filled with the knowledge of his will, so that, in order that, here's the purpose, that you may walk worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. That's not what the, that's not what the CSB says. The CSB says, fully pleasing to him. It's not a bad translation. It's just not the best translation. But if you have an ESV... It's still not the best translation because it's also equally bad. For, who cheered? Who, did someone cheer right now? <laughs> cheered too quickly. Yeah, um, it's equally bad. It's actually the same exact thing. But if you have an NASB or a Lexham English Bible, then you got a better translation on this verse because it says, um, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord to, meaning purpose, in order to please him in all respects. To please him in all respects. Okay? And that, that's what we want. On the Bible translation point, the point is that there is no perfect translation. All of them are, are good and bad in different verses. But here, we want to please God in all respects. That's the purpose of walking worthy. To please God fully in all respects, fully in our lives and all that we do. Now, Paul explains four ways to walk worthy of the Lord to fully please him. Okay? Four ways. You're going to see it in verses 10, 11, and then 12 through 14. In verse 10, you have two other ways to please him. Do you see it there? Um, well, I'll just give you the headings here. Fruitfully, if you're going to walk in a way that's fully pleasing to God, you're going to please God fruitfully. Secondly, you're going to please God increasingly. Thirdly, you're going to please God powerfully. And fourthly, you're going to please God thankfully. So if you're walking worthy of the Lord, if your life is fully pleasing to him, that would mean the ways that that happens, the ways that you see that is in a life that is lived Fruitfully, increasingly intimate with God, powerfully for endurance, and thankfully. Let's look at these four ways of living a life fully pleasing to Him, okay? The first one, and the first one, and the second one are both in verse 10. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, it's a lifestyle, fully pleasing to Him, and here's the first one, fruitfully, which is said, said this way bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. So if you're filled with the knowledge of God and you're walking in a way that's pleasing Him, you're filled, you're bearing fruit in every good work. Now, some fruit in the Bible is like the fruit of conversion. Some biblical text, not this text. This text, the fruit here born is the fruit born in good works that are accomplished, okay? In doing good before God, in your doing of good before God, in your thinking good thoughts, in your discerning, in your seeking, in your putting off sin, and you're putting on love and other virtues, 
and you're honoring God in your relationships between husband, wife, father, son, uh, slave, master, um, and in praying in general for God's name to be hallowed and in spreading of the gospel in all of these good works. I'm just telling you the good works of Colossians. Those are all the good works that we're going to look at in the future weeks. In all those good works of the book of Colossians, you're to walk in a life that's fully, that's fruitful, that's bearing fruit for God's glory. These are the good works that are bearing fruit. Now, I want to take this fruit analogy and just push it one step further. When you do this good, this fruit that's bearing, that this fruit that is done in good works, this is a fruit, a good work done, that feeds others. Because what does fruit do? Fruit, fruit, fruit feeds people, right? It nourishes. So your good works in a life fully pleasing to God will nourish other people. Not only that, let me push it one, just one more. This fruit, this good done, has seeds within it that bear more fruitful good deeds. Right? When you have, why do, um, why do plants continue to grow even when no one's planting the seeds? Because the fruit will fall off. The fruit will decay and the seeds are right there in the fruit and it just goes right into the ground and more um, trees can come up from that. Right? So within the good deed, the fruit, there are seeds for more good fruit. And that's what causes a life to be exponentially fruitful. Or, to go back to Genesis 128, which we discussed last week, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Our, our lives and good works bear fruit that go even beyond our life and scope and knowledge. Another case in point, all of us sitting here have only been here from 2014 on, but there are a lot of good works done by the members of this church since 1949. That we, are bear, that we are benefiting from. We're sitting in a building that members built. Their good work is bearing fruit today, right? And that goes beyond their lifetime, beyond their knowledge, beyond their scope. But that's a life fully pleasing to God, full of good works that feeds others and bears more fruit beyond what you can even see. Okay, so fruitfully. So, so expect, God, um, expect God to stir in you desires for good works and to fulfill those expect God to make your life fruitful in good works for his pleasure so not only fruitfully a life fully pleasing to God is not only lived fruitfully it's also lived increasingly look at verse 10 again so that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work that was the first one and growing in the knowledge of God growing in the knowledge of God if you're growing you are increasing I could say growingly but that sounds a little bit weird so I, I chose increasingly, but you're, you're growing in the knowledge of God. Knowing God, uh, and this, this is not just knowing His will now, it's not just knowing the Bible and what His Word has revealed, it's knowing God. And that's the goal, that's, that's the point, right? That, that is the goal, to know God personally and intimately. We ultimately don't have a relationship with a book, we have a relationship with the author of the book, right? That's what we do. We want to know God personally and intimately. That, notice that that is the goal of knowing God's will. We want to know God's will so that in living a life pleasing to Him, we will know God. And in knowing God, we'll know more of His will, which will lead to a life more pleasing to Him. And then in more pleasing Him, you will know Him even more. And He'll be increasing and increasing and increasing. Almost cyclical, but almost spiraling up in knowing and obeying and knowing and obeying and knowing and obeying. And you're increasing and increasing to reach full maturity are you increasing in your knowing God personally I can still hear John Piper's voice in my head 
strive to know God as a person. He's talking to pastors here. You live your life reading a book, but fight to love and know God as a person because he is personal. And that's the goal here, to know God personally and intimately. And this is in line with Paul's ambition. Paul said in Philippians 3, 8, 10, 12, and 14, more than that, I consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Verse 10, my goal is to know him. Verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. I pursue or I press, this is the King James Version of me, right? I press toward the mark. I, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul's pressing to know God. And here we, are to, we want to grow, to be growing, increasing in knowing God. One commentator has written, everything Paul did contributed to his process of coming to know the triune Godhead. And he was never satisfied, continuously seeking growth in this area throughout his life. So the burden Paul has for writing this book is that, the, that these Colossians not be swayed away from Christ by the strong winds of tricky, Christ-marginalizing thoughts that say, hey, Christ is not the full life. If you want the fullest life in Christ, you need Jesus plus some other things here to live that full life. Paul wants to say, don't be swayed by that. He wants, you to keep, he wants them to keep walking in Christ so that they would reach the goal of having a complete knowledge of Christ, as it says in Colossians 2.2. A complete knowledge of Christ. And Jonathan Edwards, I read a, a resol resolution from, Ed from Edwards, Resolution 28, where he wants to work hard to know the Bible. But Resolution 53 hits at this point. Resolved to improve every opportunity when I am in the best and happiest frame of mind to cast and venture my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ. To trust and confide in him and consecrate myself wholly to him. Whenever I get that thought, that clarity of thought, that, that Christ is all, I want to throw myself completely on Christ. Every chance I get, every opportunity I get when I get that clarity. That is increasing in the knowledge of God. So brothers and sisters, expect God. This is a good news sermon. This is a happy sermon this week. Expect God to make you increase in knowing him intimately and deeply from your walking worthy of God and living a life pleasing to him. God wants you to know him. You're not going against God's resistance here. You're going with God's desire here. Number three, so we want to live fruitfully. We want to live increasingly intimately. Thirdly, we want to live powerfully. Verse 11, this prayer request will produce a, a life that is powerful. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. So here it is again, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, you could translate this. If I was translate, I didn't check the other translations here, so I don't know, maybe the ESV is better this time or some other translation. But um, I, I don't like how the CSB doesn't play off of the words that relate to each other, that sound similar. So, for example, if I was translating verse, look at verse um, 11 again. It says, being strengthened with all power. I'm like, oh, you're missing a point here. Being strengthened with all power. It, you could translate this to make it consistent. I'll give you three different ways of translating it, and you'll get the point. Being empowered with all power. Or you could say, being strengthened with all strength. Or you could say, being enabled with all enablement. 
Do you guys get the point? It's the same word. It's just uh, being strengthened with all strength, being empowered with all power. Paul is trying to make a point by putting rep repetitive words on top of each other to say, God wants to empower you with all power. And then he, if that's not enough, being empowered with all power, according to his glorious what? According to his glorious might. And how mighty is God? How powerful is God? Infinitely powerful, endlessly powerful, limitlessly powerful. And God wants to strengthen you according to that endless, limitless power working in every individual Christian member. Wow. Being empowered with all power, infinite power, strengthening you, strengthening weak Christians like you and me. This inexhaustible power, storage of power, strengthening weak churches like ours. Now imagine, this is a newer phone, but my older phone, my older iPhone, had a nice pink, glossy pink case that one of the brothers gave me. Who gave that to me? One of the members here, right? Was it? Oh yeah, doesn't want to say his name. Okay, yeah, because it was a guy, it wasn't a girl. Gave me a nice glossy pink case for my phone. And you just press a button here at the, at the bottom of the phone and it would charge the phone. The charger was on, like the charger for the phone was on the case. And then you'd have to charge the case, so now you had two, two batteries um, to go through before your phone died, which was good when you have an outdated phone like I did. But imagine having a phone case charger on your phone that never needs to be recharged, but was just endlessly supplied with power. You would never have to recharge the charger. It's just there. That's what we Christians have with the glorious power of God working in us. God never needs to be recharged. You don't have to plug in the, the, the battery pack to charge the, the phone, to charge your life, no. We have an endless, limitless source of power for us. Now what's this power for? What does it mean to live powerfully? To live popularly? To live to, to have a lot of, like what does it mean to live powerfully? To have a lot of converts, that would be great. To, um, to have a lot of influence in, in discipling people, that would be great. Or to have a good job, power for what? Power to believe in whatever I can do, I can do whatever I accomplish? No, power for what? Look at verse 11 again. Paul tells us what the power is for. What is the power for? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? So that you may have what? Two things. Great endurance or all endurance and patience. What do we need power for? We need power to endure. We need power to be patient. Why? Why do we need power to be patient? These are, there are trials and difficulties in your life right now and ahead. And when you have a trial in your life and you have a difficulty in your life, you're going to be tempted to think false thoughts and grab on to bad teachings. Friends and members, I, I say this um, with a heavy heart, but I, I, it's inevitable. Friends and members, even of this church, will go astray. That's just a reality. If you're looking at your Bible, if you're reading your Bible, this is a broken world. If we're doing our job here as a church, even members of this church will go astray because we're, we're not overly trying to read everyone's heart to see who's a member and infallibly know that they're saved, right? We don't know that. And even those who are saved might fall away for a while. All that, there's all that to say. There's so many hidden things of God that, we, that we're inevitably going to have friends and even church members who fall away from Jesus. There's going to be some tough challenges in our lives ahead. And even right now, it's current in our lives. 
People will misunderstand who Jesus is. People will marginalize Jesus. People will devalue Jesus. I mean, we prayed for Kenya, and I sent you guys the email on the uh, a church email today. We prayed for Kenya. They're, they're gathering groups. <coughs> excuse me. They're gathering groups of 30 men to pick on people, to pick off villagers. So the only way you could, hold on. I'm choking on my own saliva here. For anyone who's scared of COVID, I really did feel the, the saliva here. So it went and then went down the wrong pipe. <coughs> okay. Um, you need it. We need endurance here, right? Um, there are people who are, who are opposing Christianity and opposing your Christian life. So we need endurance. These realities are going to be felt and experienced. And even if you don't fall away, you're going to feel temptations to fall away. You're going to have doubts in your own Christian life. And it will be discouraging and disheartening. So we need endurance and patience. Now, what's the difference between endurance and patience? We can't draw too sharp of a distinction, but let me give you two from two different preachers. Or one's a commentator, one's a preacher. Grant Osborne says, patience is a good attitude of trust and endurance, a good attitude of, of trust and calmness. So patience is the attitude, endurance is the resulting action. Okay, so patience is the attitude, endurance is the resulting action. But we need both. We need power to be patient and endure, right? Here's another one, and this one might be better for you. John Stott says this. Endurance is for difficult situations. Patience is for difficult people. And you need both in your Christian life. I don't want to say difficult people. I changed it a little bit, but that's more powerful. But I think you don't want to just label per people as difficult just straight up. So I put uh, endurance is for difficult situations. Patience is for people who are being difficult. So brothers and sisters, I have encouragement for you before we get to the last one here. If you feel weak, I'm almost tempted to ask you to raise your hand, but I don't want to. I won't do it. But if you feel spiritually weak right now, raise your hand in your heart. <laughs> if you feel powerless, if you feel discouraged, if you feel like giving up, if you feel dull in mind and you're not increasing in knowing God or knowing his will, if you feel dull in spirit that your love for God is low, if you feel dull in walking worthy of God, if you feel weak in good works, if you feel weak in enduring, if you feel impatient towards people who are being difficult, then I have good news for you. God's power towards you for patience and endurance is endless. His power for you is relentless. His power for you is available and accessible in part through the answers of people praying for you. God wants to give you power. Be encouraged, discouraged brother. Be strengthened, weary sister. God loves you and will empower you. God loves to glorify himself, not only in the effects, but in, the, in being the power supplier. And we all need power because we're a bunch of weak Christians who got together this Sunday, right? <laughs> Lastly, okay, so we want to, living a life fully pleasing to God, just to recap, it's living fruitfully, it's living increasingly, it's living powerfully for endurance and patience, and lastly, it's living thank thankfully, living thankfully or gratefully. Look at the end, verses 12 now. 
to the end of the, our section here. Joyfully, actually I'm gonna pull one word, from, one, ver, one word from verse 11. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father. There it is. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So we wanna give thanks, not just in general. So it's not to just say I'm thankful for, but I'm thankful to the Father for. Make your thanksgiving personal, not into the abstract. What are you grateful for? And who are you grateful to? The Father. So we thank God the Father for things. We give thanks to God the Father, and we don't just give thanks to Him, we give thanks to Him joyfully. This is a joyful life of pleasing God, even in hardship, when you're enduring and being patient with difficult situations and with people who are being difficult, you can still live joyfully. You can still live thankfully. Now what should we thank the Father for? Look at verse 12 through 13 and 14. Uh, we could, we, now, Paul doesn't say, thank the Father for these things. He just tells you who the Father is. But in telling you who the Father is, because look at verse 12, giving thanks to the Father, and what's the very next word? Who. So he's telling you who the Father is that we're giving thanks to, but in saying who he is, he's going to tell us four things about who he is and what he does, and those are things to give him thanks for. But it's also identifying who he is. So we should be thankfully, we should be thanking the Father uh, for for our sharing in the inheritance. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. To share in the saints' inheritance in the light. So in the Old Testament, what was the inheritance for God's people? Promised land. Exactly, right? Abraham was promised in Genesis 13 that he'd get a promised land. When, when they're traveling through the wilderness, where were they going? To the promised land. When Joshua and them conquer all the Canaanites, what, do jo what does Joshua do in the second half of the book? They divide the land up according to the, every tribe's what? Inheritance. They're inheriting the land. So that was their promise, that they would have a share. And if you're an Israelite, are you part of the, the Israelites? Yes, okay, great. If you're part of the Israelites, then you have a share. You have a part in the share of the inheritance that God has promised the Israelites in Old Covenant Israel. But we're not Israelites, right? So what does this mean for us? Well, Genesis 37, 11 says, um, be, be gentle. The, um, those who are gentle will inherit the land. Now, that's in, Gen and that's in Psalm 37. So that's probably the promised land, right? The land that God promised. But Jesus takes Psalm 37, 11, being gentle to inherit the land. Blessed are the meek. And he says, blessed are the meek or blessed are the gentle. For they shall inherit the earth. Now, in the Greek, land and earth are the same, same word. But, but, but the concept is earth. That's the right translation. Earth. Jesus, it's not, it's not earth. It's just, it's just the promised land. No. <laughs> Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. What is that inheritance of the earth? Revelation 21, 7 says, to the one who conquers, they will inherit these things. What are these things? It's Revelation 21, 21 1 through 6, which is what? A new heavens and a new earth and a new body with a new humanity worshiping God forever with no more tears no more sin no more pain no more crying no more brokenheartedness no more half-heartedness no more 75% hardness towards God no more some knowledge of God and some knowledge of half lies that are in our head but we will inherit a new new body with a new community of a new humanity of everyone with a new body with no sin on a new earth forever and ever and ever that is the inheritance of the saints and this Father in heaven has enabled you, someone who's an outcast. You're not part of this family. I'm not part of this family. But he brought you into this family. And he became your father. And he says, you get, you get a share of the inheritance. You get a piece of this new earth. You get to have a new body too. You get to have the no more sin, no more tears thing too. Because you're in Christ. Praise God that that's our inheritance, right? 
Now, now that is what the inheritance is in verse 12. It's interesting that he says, in the light. I'll pick up on that um, maybe as, as we go on. I'll pick up on that because when you get light there, you get to verse 13. It says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. darkness. Okay, so the, and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son. So, uh, so we're not only thanking him for sh our sharing of the inheritance, we're also thanking him for rescuing us, right? He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's given us an inheritance in the light, rescuing us from the darkness. Now, he takes us from the darkness, rescues us from the darkness, and he transfers us. He brings us to the kingdom of his Son whom he loves. Taking out from here and bringing over there. Does that remind you of any Old Testament story? Exodus, right? Taking them out of Egypt, the domain of the Egyptians, here for this verse, oh, do, domain of darkness, and transferring them, bringing them into the kingdom of light, or the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of the Davidic son. And so here, we can thank God for rescuing us, for taking us out of bondage, and bringing us into his kingdom under his blessed rule. And he rescues us from the domain of darkness. Why is darkness an important theme and light an important theme in Colossians? Because he wants us to be filled with the what? Knowledge, knowledge of his will. And so light is a lot of times an image for knowledge, right? And when you're darkened in your understanding, you're not understanding, right? And so darkness dilutes knowledge. Darkness deceives the well-intentioned. That's what darkness does. So you get a share in the inheritance of light, and you're, not, you're no longer under the domain of darkness and the evil one. You're not under those lies anymore. You're not oppressed by that darkness. You are now transferred into the kingdom of the sun and your inheritance of light. So we're thanking God for the inheritance. We're thanking God for rescuing us. Look at the next verse, verse 13, uh, or verse 14, actually. In him we have what? Redemption. So we thank him for redeeming us. In him we have redemption. He's redeemed us, and you get redeemed by a ransom payment. Yeah, that's the idea of the redemption in the Greco-Roman world, and even with Israel, right, with the Exodus. Uh, just like a ransom payment for redeeming Israel from out of Egypt, how did, what was the ransom payment for the Egyptians not to be killed by God along with the Egyptians? The lamb, right? The blood of the lamb um, on the doorpost. There was a ransom payment for the redemption. And who is our ransom um, payment for our redemption? Jesus Christ who died on the cross. It even said, Mark, Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the ransom payment. And with that redemption, out of that bondage comes independence. So our, it's our independence day. We are no longer slaves under the bondage of the domain of darkness. So, if we're redeemed from our sin, what happens to our sin? Finish the verse and our passage, verse 14. In him we not only have redemption, but we have what? The forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven of our sins in the Son, Jesus the Messiah, who came to save sinners like you or me. This is the gospel, right? This is the good news. If you're not a Christian, thank you for enduring this long in a sermon. I haven't addressed you yet, but here's an address to you. If you're not a Christian... Forget everything I said, or if you're kind of falling asleep, wake up here for a second here. This is the main message of Christianity. So forget everything else, remember this. This is the, the, the core message of Christianity. God rescues sinners, and he takes them from the domain of darkness and brings them into the, the kingdom of his son. That's the good news. The bad news is that you and I are sinners who've rebelled against God, and we don't want God. We want to use God for our kingdom. We don't want to be transferred into his kingdom. And so because of our sin, the penalty for sin is death. The outcome of sin is eternal death. 
I read to you Revelation 21.7 about the inheritance being the new earth. But for those who are not that, Revelation 21.8, those who are not in the new earth are in the lake of fire forever. Hell, the lake of fire, is where all of us, including you if you're not a Christian, all of us deserve to go for our sins. The good news is God sent his son Jesus to live the life we should have lived in righteousness and obedience and faith, filled with the knowledge of God's will. Yet he was crucified and killed and murdered on a cross. And not only was he killed, he was also judged by God, paying the ransom for our sins. And then Jesus, he paid for our sins and then he rose from the dead so that if you repent from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, God will rescue, God will rescue you. That's how God rescues you. He already sent you a son. He's putting his hand out to you and he's saying, trust me, take my hand. Let's go. Let's go out of this dark domain of darkness. Let's go to the kingdom of my son. Let's go right now. So God's holding his hand out to you saying, trust me, trust my son Jesus, repent from your sins and come to me, grab my hand, call on the Lord Jesus to save you, and I'll save you and rescue you right now. That's an offer that stands for you even this very moment. Now, who is this God, this redeemer, this forgiver of sin? It says the kingdom of the son. So who's the one that we're thanking? It's not the son, it's who? The Father, and He's the Father of the Son. So if we're speaking of the Father of the Son, we're talking about God the Father who has a Son. We're, we're now pointing to the fact that the Bible reveals that God is triune. God is the Father loving and giving life to His Son, the Bible teaches, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God is a personal communion of love. That's who God is. This is the God that we praise. This is the God that we thank. This is the God that fills us with the knowledge of His will. And for all this, we have a compelling reason to thank God, right? So that's why I used to do this in our church. We don't have a problem anymore, typically. But when I first started doing Sunday nights, and I said, we need 10 blessings. Anyone want to share 10 blessings? Well, not any one, though that happened one time. Um, does anyone, can we share 10 blessings as a church family on a Sunday night, right? Um, but I would even challenge you, even before you go to sleep at night or when you wake up in the morning, do, do a 10 blessing challenge. 10 things I want to thank God for before I go to sleep. Ten things, I, that's what I try to do on Sunday nights with our church as a family. But do that on your own. Lord, I want to thank you. You, you could do more than ten. You could do a hundred. You literally can do a hundred. It's not impossible. Um, but ten things. Okay, let's close this up. So what do you expect in your life? We're talking about expectations and false expectations. Because the main goal here is to expect God to answer prayers for you so that you live a life joyfully and fully pleasing to him. What did you expect? What do you expect for your life? Now, it's popular in our world to think that we should expect greatness of ourselves and just put our minds to it and just be great, believe in yourself and do it. That's not what this passage is saying. It's saying go to God and expect it from God, not from yourself, right? Or this world might be telling us that we should expect good things, that good things only happen to lucky people and you're not one of those lucky people, which is the sad, sad thought that is perpetrated in our world as well. God calls us to reject both of those lies. It's not because of you that you're going to experience joy in this life now and forever. It's because of God. And it's simply untrue that your life of joy and the life of joy for you and the life full of pleasure in God is not for you. It's for the stronger Christians. It's for the real mature Christians. That's not true. It's for you. And if you're not a Christian, you're saying, um, well, it's not for me because I'm not a Christian. It's, no, that's not true. It is for you. You need to repent and trust in Jesus because God made you for this too. This is for everyone here. This life... Is from God for you in Christ Jesus. Becoming a Christian does not mean all your problems go away. But 
Becoming a Christian means you have a God who answers prayers for you so that you live joyfully and fully pleasing to him. Becoming a Christian means you have a God who will keep filling you with the knowledge of his will, a God who will keep working in you to make you live a life joyfully and fully pleasing to him in all ways, fruitfully, increasingly, intimately, powerfully for endurance and thankfully. What do you expect? I'm asking you now, Christian. I want you to answer this for right now as we're closing up. What do you expect for the rest of your life? What do you expect for the rest of your life to come? God wants to give us a truly abundant life that's centered on knowing him. Brothers and sisters, expect nothing less. Accept nothing less. God tells us that he wants to give you more. Expect more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what is more appropriate to pray now than to pray what you just taught us to pray? Fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom, in all spiritual understanding so that we may walk worthy of your son, the Lord Jesus, in order to fully please him and fully please you in all respects. Fruitfully, increasingly intimate with you, powerfully enduring and patient in difficult circumstances with difficult people or situations with people, and thankfully, because you, Father, are good. You have redeemed us, you have rescued us, you have given us an inheritance. And so we praise you. Help us to expect you to do things in us for your glory. Raise our expectations and forgive us for expecting less and accepting less than what you promise and what you instruct. In Jesus' name, amen.